Nice. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Sir Anchor, to Unspeakable Bliss podcast episode number. I do not know. I stopped tracking what number episode we are on. But this is going to be a fun conversation today with uh, my good friend here, Mr. Anchor. And I'd like to give a brief introduction and then we'll dive into our conversation today. So Anchor uh, is a guide who awakens men through stuckness in two lives of purpose. And he's involved with men's work, uh, MDMA and mushroom work. And he's an anchored heart transformational guide who studied at Wooster Polytechnic. <laughs> and he studied psychedelic integration, psycho-spiritual coaching, and addiction recovery at uh, the foundation or organization known as Being True to You. So mm-hmm. this is Anchor. Welcome, brother. Thanks for having me, Christopher. Ooh. It's been a while in the making. And yes, Worcester. Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's a mouthful. Yeah. No one really knows of it except in reference to MIT, which is the rival school that I was, you know, in in competition with in the New England mm-hmm. area. <laughs> so it's like it's a it's a pretty uh, prestigious school when it comes to the area of what whatever is being studied at those institutions. I imagine technology, engineering, aquarium stuff. You know, no surprise I ended up there. However, as a quick aside, I originally went for computer science because I wanted to make video games because that was the mythology and lore which filled my youth. But I quickly found that that was not the place for me. It was a bit too insular and lacking like a human tact. So I Mm -hmm. kind of moved out to study information systems management in a minor in computer science. And then when I did that, <clears throat> when I was part of the milieu of the MIS peoples, the engineers and scientists would like wag their finger, oh, taking the easy way out at the engineering school, I see. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, maybe we will get into the mythology and lore and the video game element because i'm sure that's still well i know that plays some some kind of pertinent role in both of our lives actually uh day and yeah like you said this has been a while in the making i think we started talking about having this conversation before you left for costa rica like true when we were both leaving for costa rica moving here five months ago so Mm -hmm. here we are i went back to the states yeah yeah Well, I'm wondering uh, if you would be inclined to share, I guess, how you went from studying on on this track that you just uh, began with to now living on a mountain in Costa Rica, doing work with MDMA and men and finding purpose and and yards. Well, I guess it's prudent to say that I went on the path of studying computers and technology because I didn't have a guide in my life. My father largely wasn't present and he worked on cars. So I did my best to create a, a supplicant guide father figure. Like, well, I, I can just do the opposite of the things he does because he's not doing a very good job of being a father was my story then. So what's the opposite of working on 
cars, computers. Mm-hmm. Here we go. That was it, really. Um, but it's curious because in looking back, my role when I ended up in corporate America working for like General Electric and NBC and all these like, you know, big companies, <clears throat> arguably some of the best positions I could have asked for, for what I uh-huh. studied. My role was an in-between. So people who study information systems management are the bridge people between the classic business people who have their strategies and their visions for their business, and they need tools and technologies to bring them to life. So I straddled between them and the technologists, the programmers, the developers. So I was speaking different languages, like bringing people together to create something more than the whole, which is what I do now, but in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, it didn't take me very long to realize that corporate America wasn't for me. I would finished the two-year program, but a year in, I'm like, I, I've got to move on. I could see down the line where it was taking me, and it just wasn't it. And, and that was big for me to say no to because um, I was the first in my family to leave home, get a college degree, to to do anything of that nature. And I had essentially already, like, reach the promised land as people would easily more standard narratively put it but that was like it didn't sit right in my heart there was something there that kept pulling me forward through time into something else and gloss over a lot of big adventures that brought me back to the states living in a van for a while couch surfing all over the place being a digital nomad and eventually coming to california working more for digital media agencies, still kind of doing my craft, but then beginning to explore at the tender age of 27, music festivals and psychedelics for the first time. So only about 13 years ago, I began my journey with these medicines and it totally cracked me open to a new perspective. Like coming from New England into California is already big enough of a culture shift, but then to add to the mix like these playful and lighthearted and at times hedonistic communities of festival goers and psychonauts was just like wow okay what's what's going on here so rinse and repeat the festival culture for a couple of years you know coachella lighting in a bottle lucidity burning man some wild stuff in mexico and then i find myself nicely settled in the venice beach with a beautiful partner you know, pre-Silicon Beach boom, everything was absolutely perfect and idyllic on paper. You know, I had the life, Mm -hmm. but something was missing. I was, I lost the passion in my relationship, the passion for my own life, my work, and noticed that all of these artist types around me in my community, in my friend circles were thriving and joyous and had something I didn't and they were going to landmark and MITT these large group awareness trainings where you start to learn the vocabulary of stories triggers shadow and also start doing ayahuasca and as a good Aquarian reformer I kind of watched from a safe distance and collecting information until one point I'm like okay guys what's going on like why are you so happy I should have it easier than you with (laughs) <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I buckled, you know, I, I took the course 
then my TT and I did ayahuasca for the first time and I came back and that opened up a conversation between my partner and I that we'd never had. The funny thing is she was a therapist. Mm. So she knew about everything I was learning, but from like the therapeutic standpoint, whereas in those large group awareness trainings, they're like, here's the whole shebang. And I was like, here's your breakthrough. Here's the door. We're going to kick you through it. And it might work for you. Might be dangerous, whereas the therapy is a slow walk towards the door and they open and they invite you in. But this conversation that precipitated between her and I made it so clear to me like, wow, I've never been curious about you or your work. What's going on here? And I, I actually asked her, what is going on here from a psychological point of view? What is our relationship? So she looked it up and it had many of the, the tenets of the classical narcissist empath dynamic, not full blown. Cause if it were, I would have been like, no, cause narcissists, they don't accept it. You know, they don't, they wouldn't be able to admit it, but a lot of it was true and playing out. And I was the golden child. I was the good boy. I was the success in my family. I was a good man was my story. And having this conversation opened me up to this, this valley of aspects of me, this, this cavernous depth of my subconscious where I would lash out at others. I began to see how I'd make others small so I would feel better, how I would just feed upon this endless well of compassion in this woman in my life and use it to, to satiate me. And this like sunk into me like like a leaden boulder and i'm like no 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 i i can't be this this is not who i want to be and i can't unlearn this so there was a part of me i was like this hits the end here so that's and then my life took another big turn someone showed up he invited me to bangkok to work on this hair-brained psychedelic startup that he envisioned through many weeks of tripping on mushrooms and having people organize his ideas and i thought that was like this you know clarion call for me to step into a life of purpose and to become a better person but that was me being pulled into the dark underbelly of the world like bangkok mm. so many more stories yeah i could share but i went through it there i was able to not able to i was pulled into the perpetrator aspect of myself which i didn't see then which has only become clear to me like a couple of years ago still unraveling some stuff there came back from that project when it went belly up back to los angeles and then i eventually moved up north because i ended up working on a cannabis startup like many people in california do and i met my teacher my mentor and as i would say in men's work the second father that kind of like shepherds through life and helps you go through these rites and passages of initiation that men have lost and then at some point i made a prayer i made a prayer to spirit to god whatever it meant to me then i was like however i can help others become aware of themselves the way i have mm. so they can heal help me get there help me get there so at that point my life took another shift and uh, things went upside down with that startup I was in. Really massive story of betrayal and and giving my power away there. 
went to the Amazon and did far too much ayahuasca in a setting that was incredibly unsafe, which plunged me into darkness for about three years, depression, anxiety, suicidality, my mentor by my side the whole time, just like keep putting me in the right direction. Then I found my integration coaching training program, which helped me out my spiritual emergence from the spiritual emergency gave me a framework of vocabulary, a lexicon to explain what I had gone through, not just in the Amazon, but all the years prior gave me something to give back to people to begin moving into this realm, this vocation in the above ground way. And then I came here to Costa Rica to meet a friend I'd gone through the training with, with all intent to come back to Berkeley to build my practice. But as it happens, you come out here in two weeks, turns into two months, turns into two years. And I just took up the mantle. I'm like, this is it. This is the time. Let me put beside every aspect of my past life. No more doing tech. No more. Literally couldn't do that job anymore because it was making me sick. Even though I was only working part time. I'm like, this is no good for my soul anymore. I have to say yes to this. Mm -hmm. And everything kind of like came at me during that year where I was building my practice and saying, yes, I'm going to start serving the medicine. I'm going to start being a coach. I'm going to start figuring out how to be a leader of men because that's at the tip of the spear for me. Men's work is where it's at. I use the coaching and the medicine work as like tools to facilitate the growth of men. But that for me is what's most important. And I'll just say quickly why that is. See, we want to make all these changes in the world. We want to fix these large societal problems with a, with a planet that's literally like on the brink, you know, and I guess you could say it's a philosophical angle to take, are we in the dark ages? And I, I think so. But how are we going to address these bigger problems when we don't even have stable family units, when we're still learning to come into union with women in a respectful and right way? And because we don't have proper union with ourselves, especially as men, Women have been doing this work for a long time. They know how to gather and to grieve and to hold each other. Men are just figuring this out. So that's where we got to start. We get right with ourselves. Then we can get right with women, create a stable family unit, create a cohesive community. And from there, maybe, just maybe, we can fix some of these big problems in front of us. And we've got a long road ahead. You know what? Like the saying of Rhode Island, where I come from, the motto, I've got hope. I've got a lot of hope. I'll stop there. That was a lot. <laughs> Thank you. I, there's many, many different kind of uh, at least five different places that I noted that we can go from here. Uh, let's see what feels like the most sort of pertinent one. Well, just to, to the last note that you made, it reminds me of the adage that uh, Jordan Peterson shares of just get your own room in order, which is before we go and change the world let's uh focus yeah. on literally, literally and figuratively what's what's right in front of us or the issues and problems that are presenting themselves in our own interpersonal uh lives before saving the world so to speak and i don't i don't think that those two things are uh mutually exclusive i think that one has a direct impact on on the other even even if we don't consciously know right how if i get my own shit in order that well in in some way beyond my own capacity to know how that is maybe it's helping in the in the greater um uh, helping save the world in in some way that's not 
not even metaphorical, but actually literally helping save the world by me just focusing on stuff that's right in front of me. Yeah. So that's number one mm-hmm. that I share. And then the uh, second note for anyone listening to this, as you can see, this is not a, uh, Anchor didn't give the answer like, I did this and now I'm here. It's a very much windy <laughs> kind of, uh, I mean, if I was tracking you accurately, that was at least 13 years from 27 to now. And maybe in yeah. your story, you shared a, a bit more. And so I guess the, the one question that came up um, that I had is when you said this prayer, you said you you had this very genuine prayer of how I understood it was basically, I want to help others in the way that I've been helped, something to that mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. How much time elapsed between that and then when the answer to the prayer where you're like, oh, okay, I am actually doing that or on the road to doing that. Well, in many ways, it's still unfolding, but okay. it's also practical to say I'm here. I've got my practice. I'm doing it. So I would say that the most immediate thing that came to me after that prayer mm-hmm. was there was a woman who was brought into my life that embodied what you could see as some of the most challenging pain and trauma and societal disposition that someone could bring into a space of healing, right? So we're talking about a woman who is a sex worker and highly traumatized by men. She was also a feminist and she wanted to work in medicine space. There's a couple other things in there too, but that's that's quite a bit. And I realized after I got out of that relationship, which was a, a big lesson for me and codependency as well, because she's the one who took care of me when I came back from the Amazon, when I was too afraid to say, this isn't good. I was not trusting myself to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I realized that that relationship was like the initial answer to my prayer. It's like, oh, you want to work in the space of helping people who are pained and, and traumatized and like lost and hurt and confused. Look at this woman here. Mm-hmm. Be there for that. See what this teaches you. See how this orients you. And <clears throat> um, hot on the heels after getting out of that is, is when I started to ascend out of my dark night of the soul, found the coaching training program, which again, that was the next big step. Like that really gave me the meat and the material to feel ready, to feel competent, to enter this space, to trust myself, to do that work. And that what brought me here. And then this land and this community further emboldened me to go even deeper into my work and to leave other parts of my life behind. I would say those were the three big things. Those are the three big things that happened shortly after that prayer over the course of like three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this uh, person that was in part taking care of you who had gone through some very traumatic events. And uh, what I'm wondering about is if you could talk about uh, maybe it will lead into trauma work but i'm wondering about this this purpose piece 
in the work that you do? What what does it mean to to help some to help the men that you work with find purpose? What is what is what is purpose and how do you go about supporting in finding that? Yeah. So in order to answer this question, I want to bring in some some understanding of what we understand that helps orient men to a healthy life. So those who teach about like polarity um, and like men's work and women's work, they'll say that men above all things are searching for freedom and that women are searching for love. And a man who feels, huh? I've heard that, that freedom, love. Yeah. So we're on the same page there. And men find the most freedom through a life of service through a mission that is bigger than them that Mm. is also bigger than the woman they're with Mm. this is also why if men idolize women and put them on a pedestal from where they look down upon them women feel good for a little while but they grow to resent men it's just naturally how it plays out so and also want to say, this is also why pornography is a big thing, because that's where we experience little bouts of freedom in the small death. There's a connection there between the unknown, the death and freedom. And for so many men that haven't been taught how to pursue that, how to find something that they actually care about, they're just put through the assembly line of high school and college and corporate track. It's just you're trading time and energy for money. It's nothing free about that. So when I start working with men, you know, usually it just starts with the basics, giving them a safe place to talk about things that are uncomfortable. And once they've developed some familiarity and trust in a circle of men to like share about their feelings, then we can start talking about, okay, where did these feelings come from? You know, what happened? What happened to you that is resulting in this conversation, in this disposition? And then once we start like, tapping on the heart of something deep and old and ancient, some wounds, some trauma. You know, I might get closer to a man at that point and they might want to do some work with psychedelics. And largely speaking, I would always start with something like MDMA because it's a return to the heart. It's a return to a place where we trust ourselves, where we love ourselves and accept ourselves to this place of wholeness and connection. And unless you have this sense of connection with yourself, you're not able to like see what your purpose is. You're not able to project that sense of unity into the future and have a clear vision. So while all the work I do with men is goal-oriented, the goals that we're setting in the beginning are mostly around feeling, mostly around addressing what's right in front of them, not being depressed, not being anxious, not being addicted. And then mm-hmm. once they start to like feel like they can grapple with that, that they can contend with these demons, then we look at the bigger picture. But yeah, you got to start with what's inside, what's what's mm-hmm. imminent. And a lot of it is imminent. So 
All right, I, I'm going to share something per personal with you. I, I maybe I've shared this before on the podcast. I, I don't quite know, but it's something that we have in, have in common, which is I was um, on a track, let's say, in college to have a really good job at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is an accounting firm. And yeah. one of the reasons is because I went to a really one of the best business schools, but it was also a liberal arts school. So I had a very liberal, genuinely liberal education as in I studied a variety of different things, which thank God for, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, and my my mom's best friend's husband was the youngest partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So I had to go to class, get my good grades, and I would have probably been, at least from a financial standpoint, doing very well for myself but my sophomore year uh in part because i was studying philosophy which my school offered because of the liberal arts education you have to dip your toes in a, a lots of different things that's kind of the idea of, of a, a genuine liberal arts education um and some other other things that happened at that time i actually made a decision for myself for the first time as a I don't know, 19, 20 year old, whenever it was that I was a sophomore for myself without consulting anyone. It was kind of crazy because one would maybe think that I thought uh, if to go to college, uh, that I would have maybe made a decision like that when I chose to go to college, but it didn't really feel like a choice. And it felt more like this is just the thing you do, you do it. And I, I was sort of fulfilling this idea of doing what I thought everybody else wanted me to do without really questioning or going inside and asking myself like, well, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I'm, what do I want to give my life uh, to? And so through that philosophy course and through theater, theater and philosophy were the two things I ended up studying. I followed my heart. What, what, to me, it really felt like I finally followed the path of my heart's calling in deciding I'm going to study philosophy and theater. And I didn't know if I would end up going and be becoming an actor or uh, maybe somehow mm. pursuing the philosophy uh, career path in some way, which actually I've done both. <laughs> um, and the funniest thing, Anchor, was this dude in my class, in my in my Socratic intellectualism class. I I, I studied all of Socrates, so I, I did Plato, mm. everything, and and this Socratic method. I mean, it really has helped me to think and to debate and right and I'm, I'm so, i cannot tell you how grateful i am for that kind of mm -hmm. background that i have um and to question all of my assumptions like all of my well even the assumption that i might not be seeing what i'm saying i'm questioning all of my assumptions but i'm going to put that off to the side so the story that this gentleman said he said he basically said this to me he said you got to read this book because what you're sharing in class is contained within this book and that book was none other than Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And that that single moment, which again, it, it really felt like it was the result of me pursuing my heart. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that pursuing my heart would lead to my life's purpose, but it very much felt like pursuing this, this kind of intuitive call, which didn't make sense to probably lots of other people in my life, like do the accounting thing. You're going to make a lot more money, you could retire early, et cetera. But it, I, I couldn't find any happiness there. And I couldn't, 
get with this narrative of work until you're 60 and then you can be happy yeah, and no. funny and it just didn't, it didn't make sense and I'm, I'm very grateful for having questioned it and and so this story came in and through this story I, I for lack of better words I, I didn't I didn't word it this way but I knew through reading this book I said that's what I want to dedicate my life to I want to I want to dedicate my life to exploring these these ideas and and, and helping other people uh fully uh get get to whatever their fullest potential is whatever that may mean for them and for myself um and so I'm I'm sharing that because there's uh this really interesting thing, at least in my life, when it comes to purpose, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are, or how you how you think about this, and how you relate to to this. I thought, man, it's complicated. It's complicated because I guess I, I guess I still am a, a little bit torn. Well, so I'm just going to think through it with you here. Is that purpose? Like I, I've had all these different experiences to show me that my life's purpose is just uh, to be, to be alive and to, mm -hmm. and to find a deep fulfillment in just life itself. Um, and then there's this other kind of pseudo purpose. So don't get me wrong. It has helped. It's been immensely, and I've helped many other people as well, but there's like this distinction, I guess, that I, I guess I'm uh, playing with, with, with you right now, which is like, the meaning of life or the purpose of life rather mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I, I use meaning and purpose synonymously some people don't but yeah I, I guess I'm curious what your thoughts are about like the purpose of life being life and then also finding yeah. purpose through mm. service through career things like that I had a feeling you would you would knock on this door knowing you so <clears throat> the first book I read that helped me expound upon this idea of purpose was a book called flow by Mikhail. I can't even attempt to pronounce the last name, but if you put in flow and Mikhail on Amazon, it shows up. So this guy was a psychologist and he was talking about flow states. Mm -hmm. So something we're all familiar with when you're present, when you're in the zone is another way of putting it. Mm -hmm. And he posited that at the end of the book, if they're talking about how to engineer with accuracy, flow states, how to bring them into your life, the meaning of life was to make meaning of it through finding out where you flow, what mm. makes you feel presence. And that made sense to me because we're all these like unique human beings. There's a lot we have in common, but we each have a proclivity or disposition to excel at certain things. So were mm -hmm. we to find out what those things were, that would be the vehicle for us to serve most valuably, would not. So I take that idea, which is practical and it makes sense, to this notion of, um, in this line of work, I do like the wounded healer. They talk about, yeah, you end up giving back to the world what helped you heal, what helped you transform, whatever language you want to use. And thankfully for me, the things that have helped me heal and to change and to grow and to just transfigure my life are also inhabited by activities that put me into great flow state or that mm -hmm. help me find those things. So 
that's why I feel great purpose in, in doing this work. And specifically because one of the things I find myself to be particularly good at being so structured and organizational, practical, like a project manager at heart, which is what I was when I worked in corporate, is this idea of creating the practices in our life that carry us. So you can't be a coach. You can't be a medicine guide unless you are constantly doing the work of what we call integration, which is basically self-care. I can't show up to a call and help someone unless I help myself first that day, unless I have filled my cup. I'm not showing up my best and that's what they deserve every time. Same with my journey work. If I don't prepare for that and care for myself in the way it's best for me, whether it's yoga, meditation, or breath work, or journaling, or prayer, time in nature, like they don't get what they deserve. Mm -hmm. And largely, <clears throat> that is the point of doing medicine work is to receive those insights and lessons and figure out, cool, based upon my goals moving into this work, where I'm at in my life and where I want it to go, how can I take this information and integrate it into my life, which means literally to become bigger than those two parts, who you were then and this thing coming together. Mm -hmm. That thing that comes in is meant to change the way you live, usually through some sort of new practice or habit. And that for me is like the nut of how I approach this work. That's why for me, integration is the name of the game and why it's the biggest conversation right now, why it's the most important conversation to be having in this realm. Because if you don't do that, it is pointless. The medicine does not simply take care of you. It shows you where you might want to go, what you might want to do, but you need to walk there. And we often can't do it alone. We need support. We need guides. We need community. We need education. So I believe that that addressed the question. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it, it did. And this last point that you pointed out, uh, it's been huge for me because I've had many sort of uh, profound experiences through the use of psychedelics through no psychedelics through sitting there and having just just meditating right. and i noticed dude i noticed that it was the, it was such a sobering realization and i mean that so literally where i realized mm -hmm. man my own mind is just wanting to have some kind of uh experience or something other than what I'm experiencing. And I want it to sort of like happen to me in a way, instead of me being uh, yeah, the antidote that I kind of found to it is, okay, assume nothing's going to happen. Amazing, incredible. And just do the thing that feels like it's the best next step now, instead of kind of being a victim to this thinking of, I hope I have this great, oneness realization today or or whatever whatever it is yeah that's it i like how you mentioned that it doesn't need to be a ceremony of plant medicine or psychedelics any transformational event in life requires integration requires mm -hmm. retrospection and time to make meaning of that could be 
a major life event like moving or a new job or a divorce or a breakup or yeah. a profound meditation hell yeah. i personally believe that the work anyone does with psychedelic and plant medicine tools is meant to end at some point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like like you know alan watts he has the quote he says uh when you pick up the phone and you get the message you don't stay on the phone right i've hung up a few phones you know yeah yeah, yeah. You know, I, I definitely feel like i got the message from 5meo dmt around experiencing god consciousness clearly enough bookended my 33rd year of life with that that felt pretty profound and had many opportunities to do it again i'm like no mm -hmm. how many times do you need to understand the felt nature of you as a emote of consciousness and all of consciousness it's, once is enough i can still see it as clear as day in my mind's eye right now all right well you said it you said you said god consciousness and i'm gonna go there now Ah! You, you brought it up <laughs> but but before i do you were waiting for that. what is it you were waiting for that i was waiting for it right uh no there's actually, there's actually something very particular that i have a question for you about around god consciousness and the the experience of or where words start to fail when it comes to having an experience like there's there in some sense which i will talk about is there's no one having the experience of God consciousness because, well, anyway, I'm going to put that over here for a moment. And the note that I wanted to make on uh, integration was, mm. man, that serves medicine that I worked with out in California with uh, peyote. Um, he's in the lineage of Comanches. Uh, he said to us, which was really I thought it was so cool. He said, you know, the native, the Comanches, and maybe even further, uh, all Native Americans, I, I don't know. I just know that he was referring to his own lineage. He said, there's no word for integration and the, and the, in, in their language. And the reason yeah. for that is because, as far as I understand, to them, they're not making this distinction between the experience after ingesting their, their sacrament, sacrament to them, Maybe they'd call it something different than that. And then the the um, integration of it, it's it's as though there's no, so you've, you've heard of this based on how you're responding, I imagine. In a way, uh -huh. see, this talks to another important point about why integration is important. Mm -hmm. I would say that the case for the Comanche is that they live an integrative lifestyle. Bingo. They don't need to do any extra work. They're right. a cohesive tribal unit. They have elders. They're in communion with nature, right? They know where to find the support they need. They have a longstanding relationship with the medicines they use, and they only use certain ones. They're not seeking identity. They're not seeking meaning or purpose. They have so much of what is necessary to live an integrative life already in place. We do not have that. Largely, Westerners who are finding themselves like in the throes of this kind of work we're seeking at some point at least meaning uh -huh. purpose relationship with god or a higher force and we don't have community we are detribalized this is exactly why professions like coaching therapist counseling are so important because those are supplicant roles for the village elder most of the time poor ones so 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, God consciousness. I will briefly lay out uh, this strange, incredible, unspeakable, hence, I mean, I don't know if you know, do you know why the name of the podcast is Unspeakable Bliss? I imagine it has something to do with experience of like source or samadhi, non-duality, nirvana, God consciousness. Yeah, and any anything that I say, one of my teachers, he says, if we want to speak of the truth, it is best that we remain silent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so since I am speaking, and it's a podcast <laughs> dedicated, to, I'm laughing at my own joke of naming it's the paradox. podcast. It doesn't get old. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a paradox, exactly. And in in alignment with this paradox there are many times now i don't even need to point out whether it was with or without well okay i will point out that it was with with medicine it was an eight gram heroic journey where i was alone i've I've told you the story you've heard the story i've shared it before on the podcast and the, the craziest thing about the experience was that it 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 somehow felt like it was a placebo effect and when i say that i mean when i had this this moment of self-inquiry accidental self-inquiry it's not like i was intentionally practicing self-inquiry to kind of get myself out of this psychotic freaking out mm-hmm. about not existing state i said if no one exists then who or what is so worried about it and it was as though i caught this fictitious albeit convincing ego red-handed in its worrying about its own non-existence and uh in that moment again there's no adequate words but it was something like it it really felt like i didn't even ingest any medicine i was all of a sudden and i have no one else there to like check in or talk to with this because i did it I'm, i'm not suggesting that anybody else does this it's just how i did it and this is what my experience was um I felt like I didn't, but I I felt as though I could go and drive my car or do anything. I mean, it was the strangest thing, Anchor, where one, it was incredibly blissful. And the weird thing that was being communicated from this mushroom, I guess, was somehow communicating that it was not the source or responsible for this shift in consciousness that i had received it was like it it was as though i could see all the stories and the podcasts and the things that i listened to were acting as kind of um ammunition for then when i take it and have this kind of experience but that that's i guess one of the reasons why i'm sharing that with you when you brought up the dmt and experiencing god consciousness is I never needed to have that experience again because the experience, as bizarre as this sounds, uh, had this strange effect where it's like when you walk walk on some journey and then you look back and you go, oh, I arrived right where I began. And, and so did I need to walk on the journey to get there? Well, would I know that I'm 
here without having walked on the journey? I can't say that, right? I, I don't, I don't know, but it, I felt, I felt this experience of like, oh, that was totally unnecessary to recognize that that is this, this is that. And again, mm -hmm. it is it's paradoxical, but I'm curious about uh, how you might respond to what, what I'm sharing and making it juxtaposed to the DMT God consciousness experience that you had. So just to make sure I'm hearing this correctly, during this mushroom journey, mm -hmm. right, you had an understanding of like, if we don't exist, why do we worry so much about it? And in that koan, so to speak, you imagined the ego revealed, like the point of it, trying to tether these two concepts together in a way forming the foundation of how we navigate life as human beings. And is that kind of accurate? So I want to be sure we're talking about the same thing before I respond. Yeah, good. I'm happy that you're clarifying because it's kind of accurate. Uh, and again, just massive failure for me to be able to put this into words. I'm sure you hear that a lot with people I work with when, when they're trying to articulate or talk about make sense well, at of the their... very least you you felt like you had an approximation of what the nature of the ego was right at the a billion fucking percent yeah yes yeah so that was like your takeaway oh i have seen the ego revealed i don't need that again mm, so i wouldn't i wouldn't say i don't need that again i could see how it ex how it, it appears to exist but how it's completely and totally uh illusory it serves a great function so i don't walk in front of a car yeah. so i can i can drink water and it goes in my mouth and i don't spill it on my computer but i could see yeah. how it's just this kind of mental image and nothing more than a mental image but it, it wasn't it wasn't just that because the thing is anchor before that happened for two or three hours i was losing i mean i had thought i lost my mind right. I, I was mm -hmm. I, I didn't and i'm hitting my face and I, I, I wanted yeah. to go, I wanted problems. I wanted, I, I just, I just wanted to feel like I existed. And then through the result of asking, wait a minute, if I, if, if no one, if, if I don't exist, cause apparently that's what this entity is worried about then who or what is so concerned about it. And then everything kind of became the ego is trying to save you from dying is what you felt. Uh, and you yeah, are using yeah. that information to choose to like, I'm here. Let's stay alive, please. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. All... I've been there. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm getting a better idea. So it's like you have this visceral experience of the ego trying to keep you alive because it's afraid of not being alive. It's afraid of what's on the other side. Sure. Yes. That could be said. Yeah. And then I saw the other side or I thought I saw the other side. So at a point you, you let go and you stop trying to hold on to your body. And then what happened? Well, it was this, I, I'm happy to go into any part of it, but I really break it up in the psychotic, oh my God, I lost my mind to yep. self-inquiry moment. And after mm -hmm. that moment, it just switched into the most blissful, incredible, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there was some resistance against death. You came to an, a moment of like insight, like, oh, this is what's happening. I understand. I accept. And then a, a blossoming into bliss. Yeah. 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 That's and how seeing how I goes. created all of that. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the story, huh? 
that's the, that's yeah. the story. That's it. <laughs> and with psychedelics, we get an intensified, catalyzed experience of life that tends to give us the whole journey right there and then with a lot of information in a way it's colored from our own particular experience of ego of resistance to death and of bliss because we each have a different facet you know like a crystal of humanity and and that's why the integration is important okay yeah i've had that experience but what was yours like you know how is it colored what parts mm -hmm. of your feelings came up what memories were attached you know what does death mean to you so that is the experience you feel like you've got something you feel like you you've got something to take with you you understand something differently now yes and that the integration of that is never ending i feel yeah nor do i ever need to have it again yeah well that was like a microcosmic experience of like life itself and so as long as we're alive we're integrating that, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Now I lost track of the question. Well, does it, how does it, um, it's a complicated question because I'm, I'm figuring out what it is I'm asking as I'm, as I'm asking, talking to you about it. How does, how does that relate to your uh, experience of my God? Experience quote unquote of God consciousness. Yeah. And I guess I guess I'm also asking what does the experience of God consciousness mean to you? Okay. So the similarities between the experience that we're imagining are that they were both so profound and so clear and meaningful that we don't need them again. That it was mm -hmm. clear. So what was clear for me in my second five MEO DMT experience was the takeaway that okay like this is source consciousness this is the energy that animates all life where it all comes from and returns to and i suppose that that requires a bit of understanding of why i felt that way <clears throat> so they say that 5-MeO-DMT reproduces insofar as we understand the experience of true death. <clears throat> Some say it's because that substance is endogenously released upon dying. That hasn't been fully verified yet. But there are enough accounts of stories that correlate those who are going through a natural death experience and one that is um, reproduced with 5-MeO. It seems Thanks. like it's one one second are you are you hearing the cicadas in the background or is it not picking up on your end i don't hear it okay good yeah so it's enough information that like yeah we can agree that 5meo approximates the death of the ego which is essentially what death feels like and what we tend to experience as we're nearing like the threshold the white light so to speak the feeling of love so, you know, I kind of want to preface this by my first 5-MEO experience was kind of the opposite of the second. Mm -hmm. There are some experiences which are categorized as void, whitewash or blackwash. Like it's not, mm -hmm. it's not something you participate in. You're gone. Mm -hmm. 
So my first 5-day meal experience, I was, I was just out. When I took the medicine and I was looking out at a fire and like two of my close friends on either side of it, you know, dressed up in beautiful ceremonial regalia. And it just started to like fuzz, like pink and white, almost like an old tube television, like fuzzing out and then literally like pinholed as if it was turned off. Mm-hmm. And that's what heralded like 30 to 40 minutes of me just not being there. Mm-hmm. The next thing I remember is slowly coming back online and noticing different parts of me kind of like dropping in, so to speak. Oh, okay. There's that part. Yeah, I like that. This, you know, let's do something about that. And having an extrasensory perception, like looking around at the people holding space for me and being able to feel what they're feeling, maybe even at times, like what they're thinking, you know, reading their minds. And that was a valuable part of that experience <clears throat> to, to notice my recollection, my remembering in a way. So the second time it happened, what was important is that I had a felt experience of what it's like for the ego to go offline of the ego death. Even though it went into void the first time, I still had that experience of the slipping away, which lessened the fear around it. And I was able to use that to support me into the transition for the second time. So <clears throat> second time I, I took the first hit of the medicine and it wasn't enough. It's almost as like this, this ball was like moving through my body and wherever it was, that part of me was dead or offline it just didn't exist i couldn't feel it and i was like very strange i was just like making the code for like more medicine please and just like wiggling around so i get the medicine and then i feel the ego like rallying like no 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 no. you're gonna die you're gonna die i'm like no 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 you're you're dying i'm gonna be all right and as soon as i said that there was this this flourish it felt as if my body was closing like a flower from my toes to my fingers, like slowly going in. And as it collapsed in through my heart was the last breath I remember taking. Mm. And then after this collapsing through my heart, there was an explosion into this space, which looks much like a lot of the sacred visionary geometric art out there. And it was all white and blue, some light pinks, you know, some uh, pulsating geometric structures in each corner and one in the center with pure white in the middle. And it felt like love. Everything felt like unspeakable bliss, you could say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was just easy to be there. Full trust, full safety, and this knowing that this is me participating in the dance of life in its purest, most essential form. And the participating part is what felt really important because I wasn't some sack of meat on the ground in the middle of like, you know, Idlewild, California, where I did that first ceremony. Like I was there. I remember it lives in my body. It's like the opposite of trauma, right? Because trauma is the pain that you hold from something that's dangerous. We don't have a word for the opposite of trauma. I kind of want to make one up, but I can remember that. I can stop and sit 
And like that feeling can overcome me once more. And this is why, well, one of the reasons why I don't feel like I need to do that again. Like it's strong, it's clear, it happened. Mm. I know. So to me, I carry that as, well, at that time, I was very much in the new age world from agnostic to atheist to the new age where everything's about energy. So to me, God was an energy. God was love. And I was feeling pure love in this space. And I'm like, this is it. This is God and God is love. Makes sense. And I still believe that. Mm-hmm. Although the only difference now is that it's not just an out there energy for me anymore. But that's, that's why I feel like I got the picture. You know, I don't need that again. Not in that way. When you say it's not just an out there energy, are you saying that the only difference is before you thought that this God energy was only out there and now it's somehow out there and in here or everywhere? Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying something else? Yeah, let me further clarify that. What I am noticing about a lot of the conversations in the new age, it's a lot of talk about energy and frequency and a lot of talk about God, but God is like, oh yeah, it's a frequency. It's an energy. It's love. It's out there. It's an everything connects all of us. We're all one. But what I found to have been missing in my life as of late is Mm -hmm. an embodiment of it. Cool. God's out there and in here, but we're not gods, so to speak, not in that way, that all omnipotent, omniscient, ever-present creative generative force. And when you start to take that big, bold leap to believe that, you know what, maybe God once existed as a man. And this is why I've been curious about the Bible lately. Whether Jesus was man or myth, I'm not certain about yet. However, holding on to the possibility that God could have existed in human form, it incorporates all of the beliefs I have been bandying about for the last like 13 or so years in such a powerful way. Like you want to talk about embodiment. Imagine embodying God. Imagine someone being the true embodiment of God in a a man's form and then being able to relate to us and teach us, meet us on that level. Because that's what like the the tenet of being a good coach and leader is to meet people where they're at. God himself, God, that energy can't meet us here in human form as we are. I might have had an experience of that with 5-MeO-DMT, but I was no longer human. I was reduced to pure energy or rather have an experience of that. So this is why this exploration of Jesus and the Bible story has been so rich for me, because it feels like that's where the birth of faith is, to understand the possibility of God being in human form, to believe in that. I think that's where faith comes from. And one more thing I'll say about that is Mm. so much of what was comforting and at times confusing to me in the New Age all these different sayings and and parables and like words from various traditions and lineages. The more I read the Bible, the more I see it in there, but so much more simple 
so much more clear and direct and human. And it's been so relieving for me to have it be that simple, to really be that simple. Awesome. 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 Uh, we did it. We got there. <laughs> we did, we, and you, you kind of, you kind of took us there actually. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. You're, you're baiting me, man. You're baiting me. You put the bait out with the DMT comment and now, and, and here we are. And uh, I think this will be a really rich discussion because through the offline messages that we've exchanged, I think, I imagine that you and I actually see eye to eye a lot more than we initially might think. And actually, that's one of the conclusions I drew when talking to you about the definition of God, like what is God? How is it alive in us? Maybe it's a copy. Um, at best, we're a copy of it. As I'm paraphrasing what what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of that um, that I really actually, actually agree with. And so I want to do a little bit of an experiment. But before I do the experiment with you, I'll just say uh, kind of uh, give some some context for it. I totally agree. The Bible, especially because of how old it is, along with along with uh, the Bhagavad Gita, along with um, yeah. these these stories that have endured for pun intended, God knows how long, you know, two thousand, three thousand years, whatever. Yeah. They're around for a long time, and there's probably a really deeply valuable reason, reason for us. For that. All right to consult the to look to them to say what what is it what how is that how can we um extrapolate that to our modern lives et cetera et cetera et cetera hundred percent like i i i feel that and and here's here's where the kind of uh the experiment can can go and this this is something that I do with, with the people that I work with and in the meditations and things like this that I guide. When I'm when I'm rigorously honest with myself, I cannot say what God is. I I I, I am, and 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 that's without looking at. Well, I guess it is in part looking at all the different ideas that have been handed down. I can't help but look at them because I'm in a culture, right? And because I'm in a culture, I'm educated, and these ideas exist. And, and the word God, it just seems impossible for me to say that which it is or that's what it or or that what it is not because here's here's the reason why in in the best way that i could put it with words and this again this is what i do in the different kind of meditations and and uh from time to time in in the work that i do is i invite people to look at their direct experience like the stories are great but for now we're putting story concept to the best of our ability we're stripping it and saying what what can we say about this? And in, mm-hmm. in a sense, it's a little bit easier to work with than uh, these very old stories in the sense that we don't have to try and figure out some, some kind of conceptual meaning. And, and most of the time when, when actually every time when people look at their own experience, 
there's not really even a word that we could say. It's it's the, whatever this is, the consciousness that is aware of this moment, that is aware of my mind, my body, you. I, I, you could tell me if it's different for you, but whatever that animating thing is that is allowing me to see, it's absolutely a mystery. And and then this is kind of where I fall back on the Socratic stuff that I've learned because ultimately I'm saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but. I can work and, and be in conversation with people instead of be being shut off. And that's what I appreciate about you is you're, you're open to listening and understanding and and dialoguing in this way. But yes, that is the the key is I don't know. And the moment, you know, it's not God. That's where this idea that my mentor just introduced me over the weekend about the cloud of unknowing, which I'm about to read more about. It's like, yeah, that's where God is in the not knowing when you don't know when you're lost you're with God. They're going through something holy, like a spiritual emergency. They also call that, um, it's another word for it that feels more helpful and valuable, but that's it. And when we know it's not it, but the integration of moving between the two is the striving toward it, is the noble pursuit. This, this fits absolutely perfectly with the, the experiment because it, it works the same way when the, the moment I identify the bottle or the body or the mind in that moment, it, how I, I use this is by the very reason that we know that thing, that that cannot in totality be that which knows. Okay. Strapping that onto the, the what you just talked about with God and knowing and unknowing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a game. Well, so the game is if you look at your own experience right now, what do you find that you're able to say anything or, or describe it when you strip it of as many concepts as you can? If you were to try to say something that's true, that's accurate, that is, and granted, we could say that anything you do say is not going to be it actually but Mm -hmm. and i'm genuinely curious if you look and you and you try to like just convey one uh thing about it is is there anything that you could say i am Uh uh-huh that's it. That's it stripped away. Yeah. Or it uh, is. Right. Right. Yeah. And that takes away all judgment, opinion, projection, personification. It's an acknowledgement of life in its purest form. And that is the closest approximation that we can get to 
like a pure and holy word. Anything further than that would be silence. And I would imagine even still like our our silence is still a far cry from the silence of creation, of God, of stillness, of pure zero point. It kind of reminds me of these numinous moments I have in the mornings when I'm either sitting on the deck or here journaling and I just take a moment after writing something that stirs a feeling from deep within me that I allow myself to just feel. And I look out upon this jungle and the rays of light shining through the window and I'm filled with something holy. Mm -hmm. Someone mentioned to me, that's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's a new way to look at it. Yeah. Mm. And that's the spark. That's the divinity in all of us. This moat of godliness that connects us to all life. That has to. Right. How could it be otherwise? Right. Because there is a common denominator for all that exists that that we can all agree to some degree from experiences and stories collected. And. Oh, goodness, there was somewhere I was going with that and I lost it. You're talking about the the experience of the Holy Spirit and the numinous and then. Oh. It's a bit of a tangent, but it, it riffs on this idea of the Holy Spirit. Because let's just assume that we all do have some connection to God, this mm. creative force behind all life. That is something worth protecting, worth preserving, worth honoring in all of life. And let's just say for the sake of this conversation right here all of men and women all of mankind it was posited i think it was i was listening to the opening of jordan peterson's analysis of the bible stories exodus sorry genesis his original ones that the ten commandments are the basis of the law that still abides today and those ten commandments were created to protect the divinity in all of us and to understand that our current law system does have this foundation of belief, of spirituality, that all human beings deserve to be protected. Their Holy Spirit deserves a chance to endure, right? To right them, despite how they may do wrong and do ill in their bodies. I just like, wow, I never made that connection. I didn't mm -hmm. know that that was something else that endured. And there's something beautiful to that, like that it's still there. And to go back to what we just said, what you just said about the Bible, or other stories like the Bhagavad Gita, like they endure kingdoms and lifetimes. They're older than stone and they're all around us, whether we see it or not. In fact, as I've begun reading the Bible, I have come to notice that much of what has stuck with me throughout my life 
songs, words I still recite and sing from my youth are from the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said about that. And that's exactly why Jordan Peterson started that series. He's like, this is true. This story is still being talked about. It's one of the biggest stories of mankind. Let's talk about that. Let's figure out why. What is it doing for us? And largely, he posits that it's helping us understand where we're going, which is really important to understand. Not like why, which is philosophy, but like, yeah, we're going there. And this is how we're going to court ourselves and orient ourselves. That's helpful. And by and large, that's what the Bible stories help us understand, like to orient our our energy, our morales, to form axioms from which to move. But yeah, that spirit, that makes sense. And I'm, I feel comfortable calling it that, you know? Again, in the new age vernacular, they'll just say God's in all of us and connects all of us, but they put it all like in the same level. At least the way it's spoken just feels like it's all the same thing. But I think that's a little, it's a little wrong. It's inaccurate to be animated by to be this um copy feels like a little you know dirty for some reason but it's it's a piece it's yeah. a piece yeah, I, just like how like you know well adam and eve story if you want to believe in that eve was made of the rib of man but that's gonna cause a lot of controversy if we talk about women made in the image of man but <laughs> we're a piece we're a piece yeah I'm going to comment on that, and I am absolutely open for anyone in the comments to this to engage uh, in this dialogue with us, with with how you see this, with how you experience this, because I, I if there's anything that, that I find worth worthwhile and and uh, being in dialogue about, it's it's things like this. Because and here and here's here's why, and I'm going to use this. Same thing that you just used as as being a piece of God. First, I'll use my asterisk, asterisk, get out of jail free card by saying I have no idea what I'm talking about. But if I were to speculate, if I were to speculate, because I can't say that I know what I'm talking about because I'm I'm anthropomorphizing this, right? I'm putting I'm putting my human qualities on what I think is something that. Mm-hmm. very high degree of prob- probability is beyond the human realm. I am talking about that which created, that which birthed, that which created everything in existence. And Anchor and I, we, we did talk about this offline. I don't have a memory of doing that. <laughs> and, I, and if somebody else does, I want to, I would like to talk to you. I'd like to know how, how that is for you, but I don't, I don't have them even, even in the different psychedelic journeys and stuff. It's not as though I have a memory of, oh, I'm going to create everything. And that's at least what I mean when I, when I say um, I am a part of God, Mm. I don't, I don't have this remembering element of going, oh yeah, we're going to do the world and this and the humans and the animals and all the stars and planets and the universe. Yeah, that's a good point. Never thought about that. Yeah, because well, go ahead, go ahead. 
yeah, we, we know that there are certain medicines that bring up all sorts of memories from our lifetimes and ones before us. Mm -hmm. And I've yet to come across someone who's like, I experienced the creation of life itself. <laughs> I've, I've never met someone that is claimed and, that either. Yeah. And, and that means it doesn't live within us. It's not within our DNA, our cells, this cellular memory. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like incapable of speaking further to that, honestly. Because this is part of me. It's like we're for made in, in God's image. If we come from the same source of energy and love, that tether, that spark, why would that not carry the memory? And part of me is like, well, is, is DNA what was created? Now we're getting into a very different realm because that's a specific thing to look at, to point to. And we know right. that it exists in like everything around us. And there's even some wild theories as to that's what ayahuasca works on because no matter where you do ayahuasca, you have similar experiences, similar visions. But I'm no scientist. I know that what is being uncovered as far as what DNA holds and carries is just in the early stages. All this junk DNA is up for review and speculation, but yeah, I'll just agree that I have yet to come across someone who had a complete and accurate recollection of the creation of all life, of all billion galaxies being formed because they said so and decided to speak into being and if you're out there i want to talk to you i would i would yeah. have Throw a in comment. the comments tell us what that was like <laughs> yeah yeah next podcast so i'm gonna i'm gonna just tie up this rabbit hole uh with with finishing because i only actually mentioned the first the first piece of this and there's a really i i find it to be an important reason so even though i don't have that memory i'm a part of it and that's just by definition of, well, if it's the all that created everything, then obviously I am a part of that. And I came from that and I am made of the same material as that. And this is where I, I um, this is like the edge of where I'm able to talk about it because it's probably because it's a miracle, which is the, that's the important part is because if you're looking for meaning in your life or purpose in your life, you're here. <laughs> I mean, here we are. We're, we're, we're part of this incredible mystery yeah. and we have no idea where where we came from and the statistical chance of us even being alive is so so i mean i read it once it's like it's just incredibly incredibly rare so this is the, the piece if if we did liken the universe to being holographic which is a popular thing i'll, I'll say and how you might say in the new age but generally the holographic universe there's a whole book about this talking about quantum theory and how mm -hmm. it's uh, the whole is contained in a part i do have to admit too that if i removed myself or if i somehow was separate from this or if you were separate from it then the whole would no longer actually be the whole without that part so that's another kind of piece that i that that um i'm just in in kind of amazement and wonder about when i think about this i'm like oh even though i'm not I don't have this memory of creating it. If you take me away, it's no longer the whole. And I, I don't I don't mean just me as a mind body. I mean the animating presence, the spirit that moves 
through me and is animating now if that were if that were taken away well then it would no longer be the whole yeah that's it just wanted to throw out my whole kind of god theory i guess yeah well that certainly became philosophical (laughs) how you doing on time how much time do you have I think this is a good place to wrap things up for me. Great. Cool. Uh, the only thing that I didn't get to touch on, maybe we could do it in a future episode is uh, I don't, I, I know, actually, I don't know anyone personally, like I know you that seems to dive into um, the value of mythical roles and how those roles through storytelling and the hero's journey play out in in your own life how you've talked about it and i imagine that you Mm -hmm. work with that with your clients and things like that so i guess unless there's anything that you to mention on that now well especially mm, when it comes to working with men there is this narrative called the mythopoetic narrative that the godfathers of men's work as we know it have been using to tell the story of what it is to be a man, what it is to individuate into a mature man, to a man, period. And it's storytelling. And much like we've been doing here, talking about like the Bible is a story. It's pre-literate. And that's one of the reasons why maybe it is mythology. Maybe it's not about an actual man and his friends because the best way that we were able to pass down knowledge and understanding of life and how to record ourselves was through stories around the fire. So whenever I'm about to encounter someone in my work and we're going to do some exploration of what it is to be a man, this is the book I start them with. This is like quintessential. This, this comes before the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover. Like this is the essence. As far as we know, it contains the original like story of masculinity Mm. cobbled together from the Romans and the Greeks. And it's just fantastic um yeah so yes stories mythology the symbolism and how we see ourselves in the world is very important not to be containing ourselves too much within the constraints of like this very structured pragmatic logical world because we're so much more than that and it reminds me and i'll end on this note my teacher such a it's a practical and a relatable figure in my life he'll always say in the opening circle of the ceremony you know you're gonna want to talk today I, I advise you not to these plants don't speak english but you know what i know you're gonna open your mouth at some point so when you do just tell yourself a good story that's a good one yeah that's really a good one. Thanks for sharing that anchor. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking to me today and going down some rabbit holes. Um, so you don't work with women. You do not work with women. I do, okay. you know, and they come to me upon their own accord, but my specialty is working with men. That said, the women I have found myself working with are dealing with something masculine in their lives. Got it. Okay. And just as, as a last uh, note, is there any 
projects, events, things that you currently have going on that you wanted to share about right now? Yeah, well, I'm about to make the announcement for a men's retreat here I'll be doing in July for mm -hmm. about a dozen men. And it's about reclaiming this like wild man, the natural essence and vitality of masculinity that's called Iron John, the green man, the wild man, depths of these pools, like hairy and ancient and wise. Yeah, the reclamation retreat. I haven't announced it quite yet, but it's coming soon. So if mm -hmm. you know, it's curious about that, they can reach out to me. It's gonna be a small container here for about a week. And other than that, my my pride and joy work is helping men, as we talked about, develop practices in their life to integrate their transformations, their work with plant medicines. And I do that in these larger containers working with microdosing uh, with mm -hmm. mushrooms because they really, truly help us to embody and to feel. And when you combine that with a morning practice or like the beginning of a morning practice, you learn how to feel through what you're creating, what you're doing. And I find that to be so essential, especially for men, when they learn how to slow down, take time to take care of themselves, to fill their cup before giving it to others. So that, that's all I'll say about that right now. Mm -hmm. And is that an in-person container or is that something that you do online with the microdosing and, or at a distance? Yeah. It's, it's, Basically, most people I work with in that I do virtually over Zoom, and it Got can it. include the person work if they come to me or if I'm traveling and it's part of the arrangement. Everyone I work with, it's it's highly personal, it's highly customized yeah. right now. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, for anyone listening, I will put all of Anchor's contact details, any links, anything that he has to share in the uh, description, the show notes to today's episode thank you everyone for hopping on and going down this uh into this journey with anchor and i, I hope it was valuable for you let us know in the comments what your experience was and my brother i appreciate you coming on today thank you yeah thanks for having me christopher it was a pleasure likewise my man bye everyone <laughs>